Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 17 of the Australian Hiker podcast. Today's episode is on solo hiking. Is one better than two? We're going to go through and discuss solo hiking and the differences between group hiking. We'll look at the pros and the cons of solo hiking. The skills that are needed to make sure you can solo hike in a safe manner. And finally, we're going to discuss when you shouldn't solo hike. Now, just to give you a bit of background in relation to solo hiking and and my view on it, for those of you who don't know much about me, I'd probably be best described as a hiker of two halves. The first is a sensible average hiker who walks with and usually behind his wife at a normal, if slightly fast pace, usually for no more than 15 to 20 kilometers at a time, uh, except in rare circumstances, and usually for no more than six to seven hours a day. The second half for me is that of a fanatical solo hiker, someone who challenges himself to the point of crazy. And over the last four to six weeks, there's been examples on this podcast uh, of the Mount Bimbury Walk and the Centenary Trail Walk that I've gone through and done. Now, first thing we're going to go through and look at is what is solo hiking? And realistically, the term is is pretty self-explanatory. It's when you go through and hike by yourself. Now, there are different degrees of solo hiking. So as an example, doing a three-kilometre solo hike in an area you know well, as opposed to doing a six-week through-hike on one of Australia's or America's or Europe's long trails, are two totally different creatures. When you first start solo hiking, you want to start small. Do small day hikes, build up to simple overnight hikes before progressing through to multi-day overnight hikes. Now, while skills gained in group hiking are transferable, there are new skills, including mental toughness, that need to be developed. Now, we're going to go through and look at the advantages and disadvantages of solo hiking. Uh, And this is where I uh, start to differ from Tim in terms of uh, some of his advantages. I'm not sure there are actually advantages, (laughs) but I think I'd probably agree with all of the disadvantages. Okay, so in relation to to advantages, again, this is not an exhaustive list, but for me, these are probably the main reasons that I like going through in solo hiking. The first one is the solitude. In episode 11, we discussed why couples hike. And in that episode, one of the the main advantages was being able to go through and share the trip and share the trail with your partner or a friend. Now, for me, solo hiking tends to be the reverse I like the solitude just as much as I like hiking with with Jill. Uh, And for most of us, we're rarely, if ever, truly alone. We live, we work, we socialize with with other people. Uh, As a a race or as a species, we're a a social animal. So we like being in the company of other people. So the ability to be truly alone is a rare thing. Uh, It's often very 
uncommon for us to have long periods where we're just by ourselves. Solo hiking allows me to have thinking time uh, without having to uh, worry about having conversations with people. Uh, it allows me to go through and hike without having to worry about other people. Uh, and you know, for me, I, I, I'm a late university student. I only finished my undergraduate degree uh, around about seven years ago. Uh, and both for the, my degree and for the hiking, most of my ideas come up when I'm actually doing things by myself. As a solo hiker, you can choose when to socialise. It doesn't mean that as a solo hiker you never talk to anyone, but if you're on a trail, you may or may not actually see anybody, but if you do, you might just say hello and move on. You might have a longer and more in-depth conversation. If you're staying in a series of huts, uh, like some of the trails have, you can choose to camp outside and have minimal interaction, or you can choose to sleep inside or use the inside facilities and have more interaction with people. This is probably where I uh, differ from Tim in that I, I think you can actually choose whether or not to socialise even when you're in a group. Um, I think we do tend to talk too much too often um, and even if you're with someone else, it's actually okay to be quiet. So I don't need to be alone to be quiet. <laughs> I know some people do. <laughs> Tim obviously does. Uh, I, don't need, I don't need that. Now, the other thing as a solo hiker that I find to be a benefit is interacting with other people. Now, I'm a large adult male, uh, and I know I can uh, present an imposing presence, particularly to single females on the trail. And as I've gotten older, I've found that people feel less threatened and are more likely to talk to me than when I was younger or if I was traveling in a group. I think they're actually less threatened because I'm there, Tim. <laughs> I must admit, I think uh, I had a, a young female friend of mine once tell me that I was harmless, and I don't know whether that's a compliment or a, <laughs> or, or a, uh, a, a negative. Now, the next thing to go through and look at is hike your own hike. And this is often a term that's used through the American long trails, not so much in Australia, but I think that most Australians understand what's, what it means. And this really relates to doing what you want to do rather than trying to keep up with or pay, keep pace with another hiker. Now, it wasn't until I started doing long distances by myself that I realized that the pace and ability that I had when I hiked with Jill were limits that were self-imposed by being in a group. I can and do, do occasionally hike 50 plus kilometers in a day when I solo hike, but as a couple, it's something we've never done. And while I haven't directly asked, mm -hmm. I know it's not something that, that interests Jill. You're probably very right there. <laughs> also, being 20 centimetres taller in height, my longer legs allow me to take fewer steps to achieve the same distances. So when I'm by myself, I can stride out if I choose. I also find that when I'm by myself, my pace increases as far as I will walk faster. I find that uh, I'll push through levels of tiredness that I tend not to when I'm hiking as a couple. Uh, and I just become so focused on what I'm doing that I will actually achieve the same sort of distances from my perspective that, that feel a lot easier than when I'm hiking as a couple. Uh, and I don't know this is a, this is something that other hikers have come across as well. Uh, it's something I might actually go through and ask at some stage. 
but uh, as I said, I, I very much physically a different sort of hiker when I hike by myself. The third reason is to go through and challenge yourself. For me, one of the reasons that I solo hike uh, is as a challenge. And as I said, in the last few months, I've done two crazy hikes. One was the Mount Bimbury hike, which was 54 kilometers in one day. And that you can listen to that on episode 12. Uh, and the other was the Canberra uh, Centenary Trail, a three-day hike of 145 kilometers. And that's in our two previous episodes. Uh, now, the reason I went through and did this was to see if it was a challenge to myself to see what I was capable of and also to help me plan for some long-distance hikes I've got coming up over the next four to five years. I needed to have a baseline to work out what I'm capable of achieving. I need to know that I could go through and back that up. Uh, and it's not something that I'm going to do every day, um, but it is something that I will do a few times a year in various circumstances just because I want to keep that challenge up and to see what my fitness levels are like. Now, just because I'm over 50 doesn't mean that I can't do crazy things. Uh, now, I must admit, I don't mend as quickly as I did when I'm younger, uh, but I do have more experience. I know my body better now than I did when I was younger, and I'm mentally much stronger. So for me, age is not an excuse for not doing things. If you want to solo hike the Pacific Crest Trail in the United States, then do it. And this particular trail is on my bucket list, but I'm not planning on doing that for at least another 10 years because basically I have too much to do between now and then and it's not as high on my priority list as other hikes are. The next thing is you actually see more when you're solo hiking. The smaller the group, the less noise you create. The less noise, the less likely that wildlife is going to be scared away. Having said that, on a recent overland track, we are one of the smaller groups uh, traveling as a couple and from what I can tell, we were the only group that didn't see, didn't see tiger snakes on the trip. I wasn't too unhappy about not seeing the tiger snakes. Um, th this is one of the things that I do um, uh, kind of disagree with in, in, a, in a sense. Because I think, you know, when, when you're in a small group, if it is two people um, and you are in sync and you do have periods of silence, I think you do get to see... Um, as much maybe not as much I don't know because I've never been solo hiking um, but I think you can get to see a lot just because of the sm very small size of the group and and the quietness of the group the other thing in relation to hiking your own hike is you get to make all the decisions if it's six o'clock do you think well is it time to get up is it time for breakfast where do you want to go today um, what's for dinner? And then you realize that you don't have anyone else to actually ask those questions of. Whatever you feel like doing, you can do as far as the, the conditions. You don't have to have a group consensus on what's going to go through and happen. Now, while we've just gone through and looked at some advantages and benefits of solo hiking, there certainly are disadvantages and drawbacks. And this is what we're going to go through and look at next. Now, the first one is solitude. And this is something what I talked about as being an advantage of solo hiking, but it also has disadvantages. Now, solitude, for me at least, is a very big plus. Uh, but for many, there tends to be a limit. Doing short-distance solo hikes, 
of uh, two or three or four kilometers or even a day or maybe two, most people will cope with that quite well. But doing solo hikes or through hikes of two to six months long, where you spend large times by yourself, may be something that you as an individual may not cope with. Uh, And for many people, long extended periods of solitude tends to be a negative rather than a positive. The ability to cope alone for long periods where you may not see anyone for days on end is a challenge for many people and one some people just can't do. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it takes a high degree of um, mental uh, toughness um, as well as a strong sense of emotional stability. (laughs) Now, for those that hike the Pacific Crest Trail and the Appalachian Trail in America, there's, a, there's a, an ongoing discussion about what are the limiting factors. And the reason I say this, that, and I'll use the Pacific Crest Trail as an example, is this is a trail that's 4,265 kilometers long. Um, of the people that start this trip as a through hike with the intent of starting and finishing the entire trail in one go, only 25% actually complete. Uh, And there's two schools of thought that why this is. The first is physical ability. A number of people start the hike without having the physical ability or the fitness or have done no training at all. They just finish their job uh, and then two or three days later, they're on the trail and hiking. Uh, And this is something I often see with a lot of hikers that are doing the larger trips. So things like the Overland Track, uh, the um, Kokoda Track in Papua New Guinea, uh, one of the biggest issues up there, and one of the biggest problems they have in New Guinea is people who are doing the trip who have done no training whatsoever. The second school of thought, and the one that I script subscribe to, is that the mental fitness is the limiting factor. Uh, being able to cope with a totally different environment, one where you're not going to work each day, spending time with family, doing chores around the house, all of a sudden you've changed your lifestyle to a, 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 a totally. It's very different. And I think just the immensity, the enormity of, um, you know, a long trail ahead of you, um, you know, that 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 is that does play with your mind and that, that would create lots of barriers I think in your thinking um, as you go and you know it's the same old thing around you know sometimes if you have clear milestones and um, you know maybe you get halfway through and now you think around a downhill run however long that downhill run might be but just to get there um, you know would be pretty tough on a very very long trail. So you know we've got the two options we've got the mental mental ability or physical ability which you can do something about and usually you'll know whether you're fit enough to do a trial whether you admit it or not but the mental uh, fitness is something that's hard to train for and really all you can do there is as i said start with the smaller hikes and build up and see how you actually cope with the smaller trips before you launch into something quite large i think for some of those things to to develop that mental um, toughness as well you you need to start with your reason for doing this. Sometimes we um, get drawn into things because it seems like a good idea and it was somebody else's idea. Um, but you have to have, you know, when it gets tough, your personal commitment, your personal reason for continuing on. 
The next drawback is basically you're it. Traditional hiking wisdom, uh, if you look through a lot of magazines, a lot of articles that are online, is that the minimum group size is four people. And this works on the assumption that if one person is injured, then another person can stay with them while two people hike out together and seek help. And this system means that no one is left alone, but it does make the awfully big assumption that only one person is injured in a group at any one time. And if you think about um, driving a car, most of us will know how to change a tyre, but what do we actually do when we have two flat tyres at the same time? It's something we tend not to cater for or think about, uh, and when it happens, typically we don't tend to be able to do things the way we thought we could. So hiking in groups of four, while that was the traditional thought, what happens if two people are injured at the same time? Um, realistically, in that situation, you're going to have to leave one of the injured people with them, and a solo hiker is actually going to have to go out by themselves to seek help if they don't have a locator beacon that they can actually set off. It's a generalisation, I know, but the larger the group, the bigger the division of labour and the greater the potential, and I do say potential skill set. When you travel in a group, um, everyone has different skills, everyone has different abilities. So someone may be the best navigator, but you'll often have another couple of people, at least in a group, that will know how to navigate. Someone might be a great cook, uh, and it means you don't have to do the cooking all the time. Someone might be better than you than at setting up the tent. Uh, and this, this applies whether it's uh, in groups or in couples uh, that hike together. Uh, you always find that there's a division of labour that some people tend to naturally fall into. So basically when you travel as a group, you can always ask something or ask someone for help when something is not quite right. Um, if you think you might have gone off trail or you mightn't have gone, or gone the wrong direction, you can always ask other people in the group and they can say, well, hang on a sec, we, we thought we'd gone off trail as well. So when you're traveling by yourself, there's no one else to ask. You are really it. The other thing is you might be getting heat exhaustion, uh, but do you really know if you're traveling by yourself? And this is where you really do need to pay attention to what's going on. And we'll talk about that in a few more minutes. Basically, if in doubt, stop. Uh, that's probably the best thing to go through and think of. Now, the other issue tends to be wildlife. Now, Australia doesn't have much in the way of large predators such as bears or lions to worry about. Our biggest issue with wildlife is snakes and large groups of hikers or groups of two or three or four will make more noise, at least from a snake's perspective. When they're, when they're sensing vibrations on the ground, a, group, a large group of hikers is going to scare them away much further distance than, than a single hiker is going to come across. Uh, now, I expect to see more snakes traveling solo, and this is usually the case in the areas that I tend to travel. Now, on the recent Mount Bembry walk that I did at the end of last year, uh, I saw a number of snakes uh, that were oblivious to the fact that I was there until I was almost right on top of them. Uh, and partly this was because the ground was very soft and wasn't transmitting vibrations through the ground. But also, as a single hiker, I wasn't making that much noise. Sharing the load is the other thing. The ability to share equipment such as stoves. Normally, if you're hiking as a couple, you've only got one stove between two, where two solo hikers will have a stove each. 
tents can be split. Uh, and we're currently using a, uh, a big Agnes Copper Spur 2 tent. Um, the single version is uh, not that much lighter than the double version. But when you can break apart the pieces of the tent and share them between two hikers, you're actually carrying less shelter than you would be if you're typically as a solo hiker. Now, you can get very ultralight tarps and things like that. But again, even if you're traveling as a pair as opposed to a single hiker, splitting the load will actually make things much easier. And a tarp isn't always enough to sleep under, is it, Tim? Because what about those big spiders? <laughs> and I must admit, I, as I said, I, uh, I um, having ca- uh, camped in um, uh, the Brindabellas, there, are, there is a species of funnel webs up there. The males do go wandering looking for females. Uh, they, I have seen them out and about on the trail, and they're likely to be out at night time. Uh, and uh, for those of you that listened to my recent uh, uh, centenary trail walk, uh, I woke to find a spider two inches from my face and uh, it took me a few seconds to realize that it was on the outside of my tent. Uh, otherwise, it would have been crawling over the top of me, something I prefer not to have to deal with. Okay, now we've looked at the disadvantages. Now we're going to look at the essential skills that you need to go through and solo hike. Basically, the, again, this is not an all-encompassing list, but it's the thing that's going to make you safer as a hiker. Uh, the first one applies to solo hikers as well as a pair of hikers or a group. And that is let someone know what your plan is, where you'll be, and if you change your plan, let them know the new plan. Finally, let this person know when you are back. And I've seen situations where people have been, a search has started for people uh, only to discover that they aren't really lost, they've gone home and haven't bothered to mention anything. And it was only because somebody bothered to ring their phone and say, are you okay? And it's, oh, look, yes, oh, sorry, yeah, we got home and we forgot to call. Be fit enough for what you are planned. If you're a solo hiking, you don't have anyone else to rely on. You need to know what your skills and your ability are, uh, and you need to be fit enough for it. And I think the fitness is a real um, key issue. People sometimes think that, If I do a lot of hiking um, or any particular exercise, that will make me fit. Um, You know, we've seen this in a whole bunch of different um, areas that you actually need to work at your fitness to then be able to be a good hiker and to be a strong hiker. If there's a logbook on the trail, fill it out. When we went through and did the Larapinta Trail last year and just recently the Overland Track, there were logbooks on regular occasions. Some hikers weren't bothering to fill the logbooks out. They were just going through and just ignoring them. But for us, we filled them out whenever we saw them. And I must admit, well, on one occasion, we did miss it. Um, we uh, just forgot to fill it in before we, we headed off. Uh, but it means that if you are filling it in and you are lost or someone is looking for you, they can check the logbooks on the trail and see where you, where you at least aren't and it can minimize the actual search area. Know how to use a compass and a map. Now, you may not need it on most trails. Uh, Many of the larger hiking trails, like the Larapenta and the Overland Track, are very well marked. You don't need a compass to go through and hike them. But if you go off trail, or you get lost, or you need to get off trail for an emergency, 
Uh, and the Larapenta Trail is a good example here where you can actually leave the trail and go out to the highway. You need, to, need the ability to be able to navigate with a compass to be able to help you in that situation. Carrier GPS. Now, GPS will provide reasonably surefire ability to locate, locate yourself on a map. Now, you need to know what that actually means. Having a little dot show up and saying this is where you are needs to be in relation to, well, how do I get back to the trailhead? How do I get back to uh, a town? Uh, where you're going from there? Carrier personal locator beacon. Now, currently I'm carrying two beacons when I hike. I carry a personal locator beacon as well as a spot. The spot is ideal for letting a loved one know when you're okay and as allows you, it also allows you to send messages as well. Uh, and they, the, the spot also has the ability for someone to monitor you in real time. Um, there are devices on the market that do both these functions, but they tend to through, chew through the battery power, and this can be an issue in an emergency. So personal locator beacons, the type that I've got, 10-year battery life. The spot, I know that I'll get uh, at least seven days out of a set of batteries, uh, so on a, uh, I tend to allow for a, a set of batteries per week just to be on the safe side. And the spot's really good um, and, you know, it's a nice uh, nice thing to be able to track and watch the dot move um, and watch the, the journey. It, it does get a bit frenetic when the weather's particularly bad and a storm's coming in and you know and... Uh, you know, you're worried about what where they are and what they're doing. You know where they are, um, you're just not sure what they're doing. Okay, the next thing you need to do from a skill-based point of view is know your limits. Essentially, you need to be self-aware and pay attention. As a, as a hiker hiking with Jill, I tend to tune out. Typically, I'm walking behind her. Uh, I know she's leading the trail. Uh, and in that case, when I am following behind, I tend not to focus so much, uh, and this has resulted in me and me running into trees occasionally because I'm not <laughs> because I'm not paying attention. I'm never going to live that one down. <laughs> um, but certainly, I tend to tune out a bit and not focus so much. Um, when I go turn around and then start leading in front of Jill, I'll then start paying a lot more attention. And as a solo hiker, this is particularly true. If you make a mistake, if you trip, if you twist your ankle, there really is no one else to rely on in this sort of situation. So you need to be really focused. When you start losing focus on the trail as a solo hiker, it's time to stop whatever you had planned. Know your abilities and skills well enough to know when it's time to stop for the day. Know your skills and abilities well enough to know when it's time to call quits and stop the hike. It's better to be disappointed and not complete the hike than end up with an injury because you've pushed yourself too far or past your limits. Know when it's time to set off the personal locator beacon. Now, serious injury is usually pretty obvious. and that In the, in the case of personal locator beacons, it's, is, the, is the injury life-threatening? Now, is a broken ankle life-threatening? It's certainly serious, but in most cases, it's not going to be life-threatening. But it can be if you're a solo hiker, particularly if the weather is bad. And this is something that you may need to consider. 
work out what stage you are going to set off your locator beacon. And again, if you've told someone where you're going, let them know that if you know if this is the point where you think you're really serious in trouble, this is when you'll set it off. So when they get a phone call from the emergency service to, to see whether they've heard from you or not, they'll have an indication of, look, this is what, what the person was going to set it off for. For female solo hikers, safety on the trail is something that may be more front of mind as opposed to a male hiker. Practice situational awareness regardless of your gender, and if you feel uncomfortable, remove yourself from the situation. Have appropriate first aid training to deal with injuries. Now, potentially, you're going to be the patient if you're solo hiking, so you need to be aware of what you can, what your skills and abilities are in this case. Carry an appropriate first aid kit that's going to be suitable for your skills and abilities and is likely to be able to deal with potential problems. Now, the last thing you need to be aware of is know the environment. In Australia, in, dry, in the, the dry central areas of Australia, flash flooding can often occur uh, uh, when rains occur anything from 50 to 100 kilometres away and it can affect you in a current location. So camping in dry creek beds might be fine, it might not. You need to be aware of what the weather conditions are going to be like. Be aware of any dangers, snakes, ticks, spiders, etc., and plan for any eventualities. Um, again, if you're hiking with somebody else, um, somebody is going to be there to help you. But certainly if you're uh, hiking by yourself and you get bitten by a snake, you're going to have to go through and deal with that situation. Be prepared gear-wise for possible eventualities. Now, for just about every hike I do, my layering system is designed to cope with temperatures down to about minus 7 degrees Celsius. Um, that includes being prepared for wet conditions and wind chill. I may never need that, uh, and in rare circumstances where I know the weather is never going to get like that, um, I tend not to worry too much. Uh, but I have gone through and hiked up Mount Kosciuszko in the middle of summer, uh, I've seen the weather conditions go from 30 degrees and drop down to about 4 degrees as the storms come through. So that's just one example of how things can turn bad without too much warning. Now the last thing we're going to talk about with solo hiking is when not to solo hike. Now, as I said, I enjoy solo hiking. I enjoy hiking as a couple. Uh, would I always solo hike? Um, if I have the opportunity and Jill doesn't want to do the hike that I want to do, the answer to that's probably going to be yes. Um, but uh, So there are certain circumstances where I won't solo a hike, and really that comes back to the, the, the advantages and disadvantages. If my fitness levels aren't good and I'm planning on doing a long hike, that would be some, a situation where I'd think twice about doing this hike. It may be that I'd have to delay it, or it may be that I hike it slower with somebody else. Um, it may be that the weather conditions are fairly severe uh, and that, that I, um, you get fogged out or whited out, uh, so navigation becomes difficult. Uh, it may be that you're going off trail in a very remote area, and in that sort of situation, I'm unlikely to go through and hike by myself, just from a safety aspect. Yeah, and just on the... The, the weather conditions, um, when we were doing the Overland track, um, there was a, um, a guy who went to the summit of Cradle Mountain and it was a whiteout. He, w he went by himself, he left his partner 
um, who decided it was all a bit too much and um, you know suddenly discovered that he couldn't couldn't see the the trail markers from one to another got a little bit lost got a little bit confused um, and wasn't particularly far away from his hiking partner but didn't really know that um, and you know that could have been quite a quite a bad situation that wasn't technically a solo hike but you know in a very short space of time he could have been in big trouble okay so we've gone through and looked at the advantages disadvantages of solo hiking we've looked at this the necessary skills and we've looked at situations where you may not want to go through and solo hike so basically if you think that solo hiking may be something you try out as i said I suggest you start out with small, non-complex hikes before building on complexity, length and duration of the hikes. Use the smaller hikes to increase your skills and fitness. And who knows, you may become hooked and decide that indeed one is better than two, at least some of the time. Okay, that's all for today's show. Um, as, as always, this episode is available to download from our website, through iTunes, through Stitcher Radio. Uh, and as and always, if you can, go through and rate us on iTunes uh, to help get our message across. Now, next week, we're actually going to be producing the first of our bonus episodes for March. Uh, and this is going to be the part one of a three-part series on our recent overland uh, trail hike that we went through and did in February. Uh, these three episodes will be uh, airing every two weeks over the next six weeks. So something to look forward to. That's all for now. Bye. Bye from me.